Shalom and welcome to the Jewish mind where the growth of modernity meets timeless wisdom and solutions of Judaism. And before I begin uh, this lecture, I'd like to share with you that it carries within it some very mystical concepts, deep concepts. However, uh, the beauty of giving a lecture on the teachings of Hasidus is that the deeper it gets, the more mystical it gets in the closing, the more practical, personal, and beautiful it gets. So follow through the class and you'll see that at the closing, everything we're going to talk about that sounds so mystical really becomes so deeply personal and beautiful. So let's begin. Our Torah portion begins with the laws of childbirth and its impact on the mother's state of cleanliness. During childbirth, the woman's uterus opens and blood passes. Therefore, the laws concerning a woman having a, her period in which blood passes from the uterus applies here. However, there is the blood of the childbirth itself, which is considered the blood of a wound, and there is the blood of the uterus itself for which the woman has to go through the mikvah cleansing process. The laws of the clean days of the blood of the wound and the unclean days of the blood of the uterus differs if the woman gave birth to a boy or to a girl. And thus the portion begins with the verse, if a woman conceives and gives birth to a male. What is peculiar about the opening of the verse is that the verse could have just said if a woman gives birth to a male with no mention of the conceiving. Why did it have to begin with the words if a woman conceives? The actual word in the verse in the Holy Tongue Hebrew for conceiving is tazria, which literally means to give seed. Thus, our sages extrapolate from this verse an interesting fact about how the gender of the baby is decided. I'll quote to you the teachings of the sages. It's in the Talmud, in the tractate called Nida, and this is, this is what it says. Our rabbis taught, at first it used to be said that if the woman emits her seed first, she will bear a male, and if the man emits his seed first, she, he, she will bear a female. But the sages did not explain the reason until Rabbi Tzado came and explained it. These are the sons of Leah whom she bore unto Jacob in Padana Ram and his daughter Dina. Scripture thus ascribes the males to the females and the females to the males. End quote of the teaching in the Talmud. Let us pause for a moment to understand the proof of the Talmud. When the Torah lists all the children of Jacob in Genesis, it does so by listing the children of each of Jacob's wives. The verse lists the six sons of Leah. Leah also had a daughter, Dina. However, when it comes to Dina, the verse doesn't define her as the daughter of Leah, but as the daughter of Jacob. Thus, we see that the boys are defined as the sons of their mother, the woman, 
while the girl is defined as the daughter of her father, the man. So this is what Rabbi Tzadok is saying. He's bringing a proof from the verse in Genesis. Now Rashi, Rabbi Shlomo Yitzchaki, commentator, he comments on the verse in Genesis. He quotes the words, These are the sons of Leah and Dina, his daughter. And he comments, The males are attributed to Leah and the females to Jacob to teach you that if the woman emits seeds first, she gives birth to a male. But if the male emits seed first, she, the woman, gives birth to a female. Rashi's comment obviously comes from the Talmudic teaching that we quoted. However, neither the Talmud nor Rashi give a reason as to why the case is so. Rather, they are just bringing scriptural proof that it is so. Okay, what is the reason to why the gender of the child depends upon who emits seed first, the male or the female? Rabbi Menachem Mendel of Lubavitch printed a book called Likute Torah in which he chose from 2,000 Hasidic discourses of his grandfather Abshneer Zalman of Liadi for the latter three of the five books of Moses, the book of Leviticus, the book of Numbers, and the book of Deuteronomy. In the teachings on our Torah portion, which is from the book of Leviticus, Rabshneer Zalman discusses a difference of opinion as to why the gender of the child depends upon who emits seed first. First, Rabbi Shneir Zalman quotes the reason given by the philosophers, that in essence it is not decided by who emits seed first, but precisely by the one who emits seed last, as the rule of, and this is a quote of a rule in the Talmud, the one on top overpowers. What the woman emitting seed first does, according to philosophers, is that it strengthens the power of the male seed, which was emitted last, and therefore is on top. Now Rabbi Sheer Zalman explains that it is difficult to see it this way uh, as the way the philosophers um, explain it, and therefore Rabbi Sheer Zalman goes on to explain that in truth it is the rule of the Talmud that says, the one on bottom, the foundation, overpowers the one on top. The difference between the two opinions is that according to the philosopher's opinion, it is the male's seed that creates the male gender of the baby. So the male gender comes from the male. The woman's emitting seed, according to the philosopher's opinion, is just to strengthen the male's seed, which lies on top of the woman's seed. Now, according to Rabbi Schneer Zalman's opinion, it is precisely the woman's seed that creates the male gender of the fetus. Thus, Rabbi Schneer Zalman sees the depths of the verse telling us that it is precisely the Isha Kitazria. It is precisely because of the woman's seed being first so that it is the overpowering foundation, which is the reason why the verse goes on to say she gave birth to a boy. We are the wife of God, the woman, and God is our husband, the male. Thus, we need to explore what the rule of whether the wife or the husband emits seed first gives means to us 
in a practical way in our service to God, from which God and us become partners in creating a perfect world of peace and divinity. While some may see the opening of Rabbi Schneer Zalman being conclusive in the way that it completely negates the opinion of the philosophers, not so is the way of studying Torah. The mere fact that Rabbi Schneer Zalman quotes the opinion of the philosophers, and even more so that he quotes their opinion first, is Rabbi Schneer Zalman's way of saying that this opinion of the philosophers does have its merits and that it does give us some very important insight and foundation to the totality of his own conclusive opinion. Thus, we must understand the depths of what the philosophers are saying and how this opinion as well gives insight into our daily service to God. Before we go further, I want to use this opportunity to point out what one of my mentors, Rabbi Yoel Khan, may he live and be well, taught me. First of all, you should know Rabbi Yoel Khan is known as the primary disseminator of the Rebbe's teachings. The Rebbe would primarily speak and teach for hours on Shabbat, a day on which it was forbidden to record. After Shabbat was over, we all would gather around Rabbi Yoel Khan and he would repeat almost verbatim talk after talk of what the Rebbe taught on that Shabbos. Rabbi Yoel Khan is also the primary mashpia, which means Hasidic mentor, of the students in the central yeshiva of Chabad Lubavitch in 770 Eastern Parkway, Brooklyn, New York. Okay, Rabbi Yoel Khan once explained the difference between the Hasidic teachings of the Rebbe to the Hasidic teachings of all the Rebbe's predecessors. All of the other Rebbeim of Lubavitch explained the main center components of the spiritual evolution from the infinite to the finite, which is the infinite light as we will soon see. However, the Rebbe's primary focus in his teachings is explaining a the lowest finite product of the evolution, b the highest essence source of the infinite and see how specifically through the lowest end product we connect, arouse and draw in the highest essence of the infinite. More so, how through the lowest finite ends service we go above and beyond the entire evolution from the highest infinite light to the lowest finite physical creation. Rather, the lowest physical creation reaches into the essence itself, the source of the infinite light, which is the essence of God Himself. Now in this teaching that we are going to explore, you can clearly see how the Rebbe is focusing on this. The deeper concept of who is admitting seed first is defined in Kabbalah and Hasidis as who is causing spiritual arousal first. So let's set this scenario so we can understand what the spiritual arousal is all about. The soul descends into the physical body and into the body's animalistic soul. Thus, the godly soul is now subjugated 
to reality as it is perceived by the body and by the animalistic soul. Simply speaking, what does this mean? There is practically the reality and the abstract reality. To the animalistic soul, the physical world, physical sustenance, and physical safety are practical. While all of divinity and spirituality is abstract. The animalistic soul of its own is not aroused to deal with the abstractness of spirituality and godliness. At best, the animalistic soul sees serving God as merely a necessity in order to receive God's blessing for its own physical pursuit. Yes, it does know that it needs God's blessing, but its focus is its physical pursuit, and if it needs God's blessing to get there, then he's willing to serve God for it. Now, to the godly soul, spirituality and godliness is practical, while all the animalistic soul's physical and metaphysical fears, pleasures, and pursuits are abstract. The only definition that the physical world has to the godly soul is that it is where God wants His Holy Torah to be studied and it is where God wants His Holy Commandments to be physically performed. Now, once the godly soul descends into the physical body, it is subjugated to the dominance of the animalistic soul's paradigm of reality. As a matter of fact, in the mystical teachings, the godly soul is referred to as the second soul, not the primary soul, the second soul. Thus, there needs to be some sort of arousal that brings about the change of paradigm to the person where he is willing to give precedence to spirituality and to the service of God over his own physical pursuits. This spiritual arousal can come in one of two directions. Isrusa de Leela or Isrusa de Lesata. The word Isrusa means arousal. The word de Leela means from above. And the word de Letata means from below. The arousal can come from below, from within the person himself or it can come from above as a spiritual awakening from God above. For example, the way a Jew feels at the Western Wall in Jerusalem, at the Ohel burial place of the Rebbe, or on the Holy Yom Kippur Day, are primarily all about an arousal from above. There is a spiritual revelation shining upon the world and upon the individual. It's a spiritual revelation that comes from God, from above. On the other hand, when the person takes a true tally of his situation, who he is, where he is, in which spiritual direction he is heading, what his talents are, what he has or hasn't accomplished with his talents, how old he is, how distant he may be from God, how close he may be to God, and of how much closer he could be to God. And then this true reckoning of self arouses within him the need to do something about it. It arouses within him an understanding of spiritual responsibility that propels him into doing something for God, something spiritual for himself, for his brethren, and for the world. This 
is primarily an arousal from below, from within himself. Now, the universal matrimony that happened at Mount Sinai is that God made us his wife and he, God, our husband. Thus, the arousal from above is when the man, God, the above, emits seeds first. While the arousal from below is when the woman, us, below, emits seed first. Let us now explore the different effects of each form of arousal, defining the virtue that each form has. There's a virtue to the arousal from above, and there is a virtue specifically to the arousal from below. The virtue of the arousal from above is that it comes from a spiritual plane of which the human cannot reach on his own. Let's understand this. In the mystical cause and effect concept, in which the human's behavior is the cause and the spiritual reaction is the effect. So in the mystical cause and effect concept, the relationship is limited to the lower levels of spirituality that have a connection and a reaction to the human's actions. However, there is a level in the infinite light that has no connection with the lower physical realm or to the actions of the human being. Thus, the sublime spiritual height of the infinite light cannot be solicited by the arousal from below. It has no connection and reaction to the below. And therefore, it can only be uh, inspired by the arousal from above. So this is the virtue from the arousal from above. It reaches spiritual sublime planes that the human, the below, cannot reach on its own. However, there is a caveat to this virtue. Being that the deepest desire of God and that the deepest purpose of all sublime spiritual heights is for the Jews' physical service of Torah study and mitzvah observance. Therefore, what comes from the arousal from above is only the revelation of the external layers of the infinite light. That's not the deepest purpose of his existence. Therefore, it's only the external layers, void of any internal essence, substance, or connection. On the other hand, Let's discuss the virtue of the arousal from below now. While the arousal from below is limited to the heights of the infinite light that it can reach, nevertheless, the arousal from below connects with and draws in the revelation and presence of the interior essence of the light. Because it, the work of the below, the Jew doing Torah mitzvot, is the deepest purpose and desire of the essence of the light. What is extremely important to us to understand here is that the arousal from below, which is when the woman emits seed first, connects and brings into the picture the interior essence of the infinite light. While the arousal from above brings only the expressive exterior of the infinite light. Now we can appreciate the two opinions upon which power creates the gender of the child. The philosophers are focusing on the fact that the woman, us, the Jew here below, is limited in the heights of her reach. 
while Rabbi Schneir Zalman is focusing on the aspect that only the woman, us here below, is able to introduce the interior essence of the infinite light into the situation. Let's take a deeper look into this. The philosophers agree that the verse states clearly when a woman conceives and gives birth to a male. Thus, the philosophers agree that the woman emitting seed first is essential. However, they see that the woman emitting seed first is important only because it then strengthens the man's seed for being on top. What does this mean in the universal matrimony between us and God? Within the arousal from above itself, there are two different layers. There is the layer that is totally autonomous. It's just an arousal from above. And there is the layer of the arousal from above which is empowered by the deeper purpose of the future arousal from below. Let's understand what this means according to Kabbalah before we take it practically. The verse in Mika states, For he desires loving kindness. The sages of mysticism see this verse as explaining how creation came about before Adam and Eve were there to serve God. So Adam and Eve serving God was the beginning of the cause and effect relationship that creation has with God. So once Adam and Eve are serving God, we know how things happen. We serve God, that's the cause, and that creates the effect that God creates and does. However, at first, six days before the Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work and to guard it, God's creating the world was simply because of, for he desires loving kindness. That's a total arousal from above, which is not solicited or empowered by the cause and effect of the below. However, the sages of mysticism emphasize that even here too, in the six days before Adam and Eve were created, it was the arousal from above which was empowered by the from below. How can that be? Adam and Eve weren't even around. The Medrash speaks of how within the primordial thought of God. Let me explain what primordial thought means according to Kabbalah. Kabbalistically defined, it is the reason and empowerment. The primordial thought is the reason and empowerment of God's desire for loving kindness. Okay, now let's see what the primordial thought of God was. And I'm going to quote the primordial thought exactly as our sages teach it. Upon who shall I be king? Upon the souls of the righteous. Okay, so let's see what we now understand. The autonomous arrival from above is the simple for he desires love and kindness. However, deeper and higher than this autonomous arousal from above, the primordial thought which is higher than the arousal from above, is the arousal from above that is empowered by God's thought of the below, embedded deeply within the primordial thought of God as, upon who shall I be king? upon the souls of the righteous. Okay, so now we know that there is the autonomous arousal from above 
simply, without a reason, God desires loving kindness. However, higher than that is the arousal from above that is empowered by the futuristic service of below, which is even before Adam and Eve are there. The reason why God desires loving kindness is because He knows that He shall be king upon the souls of the righteous who are serving Him here below. So now let us again return to the two opinions, that of the philosophers and that of Rabbi Schneir Zalman. The philosophers are not speaking of the autonomous arousal from above, for they too agree that the verse specifically states, when a woman conceives and gives birth to a male. Rather, they are speaking of the arousal from above that is empowered for the purpose of the arousal from below. So it all comes about with the woman conceiving first, which empowers the arousal from above, the male emitting semen second. Nevertheless, even here, Rabshneir Zalman still disagrees with the philosophers, and he says that the arousal from below is even greater than the arousal from above that is empowered by the purpose for the arousal from below. The question here is, what lies at the heart of Rabbi Schneer Zalman's opinion that the arousal from below in itself is greater than the arousal from above even if it's empowered by the purpose of the arousal from below? What is Rabbi Schneer Zalman really saying? We spoke of two levels within the arousal of above. One was the autonomous one, and the second was the one empowered the from, or from or for the below. However, there is a third level, which is the highest of them all. It is the level called the gift. The difference between a gift and a payment is that payment is comparative to the work performed. Thus, the reward for our service is of the light, which is the level that is affected by the service of the person. When we serve God, we are affecting the revelation and the evolution of the infinite light. A gift, on the other hand, is not limited to the capacity of the person receiving the gift. Nevertheless, our sages do define a gift as something that is given only to, and I quote, one who brings him pleasure. So on the one hand, a gift needs to be aroused by the person below. He has to give pleasure. On the other hand, once aroused, the gift is not limited to the capacity of the receiver or of the capacity of his level of arousal. What this practically means is that first the person below must do all that he can do. That's the arousal from below, the woman emits seeds first, our service to God. This that the person has caused pleasure to God in doing all that he can do then goes ahead and arouses within God to give the ultimate highest arousal from above which is the gift. Thus, Rabbi Shneir Zalman of Liadi's opinion is that it is not about the man's emitting seed first 
which means that it is not about I sh I'm sorry it's not about the man's emitting seed second right that's the opinion of the philosophers that because the man emits seed second it gives birth to a male so let's say this again Rabbi Schneer Zalman Schneer Zalman of Liadi's opinion is that it is not about the man's emitting seed second which means that it is not about the arousal from above whether it be the autonomous arousal from above or the arousal from above empowered by the below that's not what it is about according to Rabbi Schneer Zalman's opinion it is precisely the woman's emitting seed first it is precisely the arousal from below what we do here for God that connects us to the highest essence connection and relationship with God and which brings the essence of God not just the light God himself into the picture that molds the gender of the child and the permanence of the fruit of our service to God so before we move on this is mystical let us take a moment to take in the beauty of what we are saying I'm gonna say it in a different way so that we can really appreciate what these two opinions are saying in the arousal from below our service to God there are two layers one layer is that our service is the arousal from below which empowers the arousal from above that it should have not only the sublime heights of the infinite light but that it should also be the internal essence of the infinite light this is aroused only by our service to God from here below otherwise it won't be in the internal essence of the infinite light it'll only be the expressive external layer of the infinite light this is the layer of the arousal from below that exists from when the person below starts his service to God and works his way through it however when the person completes all that he can do for God from here below then the arousal from below is not about what the Jew is doing for God as much as it is about who the Jew is to God I'm gonna say that again when the person completes all that he can do from here below then the arousal from below is not about anymore just what the Jew is doing for God as much as it now is about who the Jew is and how deeply God has connected himself with the Jewish people as the sages say and I quote Israel and the Holy One blessed be he is one thus we now are talking we are not only talking about the internal essence of the infinite light in the evolution from the infinite to the finite we're not just talking about the deepest levels of the infinite light rather we are talking about the essence pleasure that the Jew causes within the essence of God himself not God's light the infinite light but God himself because of the Jew being connected to the essence of God himself thus my dear friends in the final analysis 
the two opinions speak of the two different levels of the arousal from below, which is the reflection of the two different layers of connection between a Jew and God, the what the Jew is doing for God and who the Jew is to God. The philosophers are speaking of the Jew and his connection that he has to God through his service. Being that the Jew's service connects with, affects, and draws in the internal essence of the infinite light. The emphasis here is on the purpose of all creation being that the Jew should serve God with Torah mitzvot. This is the innermost desire and the innermost purpose of creation. And thus, this service of a Jew serving God through his Torah study and mitzvot observance brings the inner essence of the infinite light into creation as opposed to bringing only the expressive external layer of the infinite light. So, from the philosopher's opinion, it's all about what the service of the Jew is doing in the arousal of above that it should be not just the external expressive but the inner essence layer of the infinite light that shines upon us from above. This is the power of the arousal from below level one as the Jew begins his service to God and throughout his entire service to God. However, the internal essence relationship of the infinite light reacting to the Jew serving God then reaches and blossoms into a whole different dynamic as the Jew completes all that he can within his service to God. Then what happens is the relationship shifts and blossoms from what the Jew is doing from, for God into who the Jew is to God. This is what Rabbi Schneer Zalman's opinion is speaking of. Rabbi Schneer Zalman is speaking of the connection that the Jew has with the essence of God himself because of who the Jew is to God and not only the connection that the Jew has with the internal essence of God's infinite light through the Jew's service to God. The difference between these two connections the Jew's connection of who he is to God with the essence of God himself and the connection of what the Jew does for God with the, inner, with the infinite light of God through the service he, saw, he does to God. The difference between these two connections is that even to the inner essence of the infinite light, there is a difference between light and dark and between above and below. Thus, the limitations of the above and of the below are still binding upon the infinite light. However, to the essence of God himself, there are no limitations of above, below, dark, light. Thus, what the Rav Shneer Zalman is saying, once we talk about the woman's essence connection to her husband, which is the essence connection between the Jew and God himself, there is no binding limitations on what is being introduced into where it's being introduced or by whom it is being introduced, whether it's the external above or by the, inf or by the finite below. Rather, 
it is precisely the finite below the woman the wife the Jew here in the physical world who brings about the entire completion of this finite physical world being the ultimate home to the essence of God himself now in the closing of this teaching of the Rebbe which he delivered in 1965 the Rebbe goes on to connect this concept with the difference between the high holiday services of the month of Tishrei and the Passover services of the month of Nisan which the month of Nisan begins this year on this Shabbat when we read the Torah portion of the laws of childbirth the Tazriah after this the Rebbe focuses on the second day of the month of Nisan the second day of the month of Nisan is the day of passing of Rabbi Shalom Dover of Lubavitch the sixth Rebbe and the day upon which Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak of Lubavitch who is the only son of Rabbi Shalom Dover and the father-in-law and predecessor of our Rebbe so the second day of Nisan is both it's the day of the passing of Rabbi Shalom Dover of Lubavitch and the day that Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak of Lubavitch became Rebbe what was unique about Rabbi Shalom Dover is that he established the first yeshiva of Chabad in which Hasidus was studied also with academic stru structure and clarity. Rabbi Shalom Dover is therefore known as the Maimonides of Hasidus for the way he organized and elucidated with orderly clarity the deepest mystical teachings of Hasidus just as Maimonides did with the Jewish law. So that's why he is called the Rambam, the Maimonides of Hasidus, for he did with the deepest mystical teachings of Hasidus what Maimonides did with the vast sea of Jewish law. They both created in their own fields organized clarity, orderly elucidation of the deepest teachings. Rabbi Shalom Dovber's son and successor, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak, then brought it to the next level of dissemination having the teachings translated and made available to all of the public in a language and fashion that all even non-yeshiva students can understand okay what does this have to do with us in our lecture the core essence of everything that we discussed here in this lecture is the oneness of the highest infinite essence revelations with the lowest human physical finite intellect God's master will for creation is that the highest essence of the infinite light be, be revealed and perceived by the human finite mind. This is primarily fulfilled through a person studying the mystical essence teachings of Hasidus with clarity and orderly structure and understanding. Thus, our teaching is now brought into full circle with it being dedicated to the second day of the month of Nisan which signifies its directive for us to truly study with academic clarity of the mind and total emotional absorption of the heart the deepest mystical teachings revealing to us of the deepest essence revelation of the infinite light blessed be he in the essence teachings of Hasidus we need to study Hasidus and we need to study it with academic structure and clarity 
absorbing it emotionally into our heart. This is what the teaching of the Rebbe in 1965 encompasses. I mean, this is just one pale layer of it. However, in closing, I want to open this teaching for us to discuss it on a personal and practical level. What are the two levels of the arousal from below to us on a practical and personal level? Okay, level one. Level one is the arousal from below that empowers the arousal from above to move from the external expressive layer to the internal essence layer of the infinite light. Okay, let's see what that means to us personally and practically. Let us take an example that we can each relate to. Most people have this one true passion that makes them feel alive. For a singer or musician, for example, it is when they are on stage creating, playing, or singing. However, in order to provide for their family, they may have to take a job teaching music at an inner city school. The difference between who he is and what he is experiencing when he is in his classroom and when he is in his sound room or on stage playing music is the difference between being alive or just living. Being alive is to experience the essence internal layer of his infinite soul, while just living is to only experience the expressive external layer of his infinite soul. Sadly, sometimes the person eventually succumbs to just living, regardless of what kind of amazing passion he has in music, he will succumb to just teaching music in an inner city school. And then he'll let his passion for being alive die. Sad. What God wants from a Jew in level one is that all his physical pursuits be seen as him just staying alive. Now let's be clear. Yes, God wants the Jew to be really successful at staying alive and that the Jewish people should even dominate the list of recipients of the Nobel Prize winners, Pulitzer Prize winners, Olympic gold medalists, Hollywood and politics. However, God wants us to deeply remember that all of the above is only the experience of staying alive and not the experience of passionately being alive. Passionate being alive is for a Jew to have three generations of Jewish children and grandchildren sitting around the Passover Seder table, each being able to recite the four questions. Passionate being alive for a Jew is to be actively involved in a Jewish community leadership and then to see your children and grandchildren following your legacy. Passionate being alive for a Jew is to be in synagogue every Friday night and every Saturday morning and then to stay a while after services for the community Kiddush and have a Jewish conversation. God wants us to remember on level one of the arousal from below that the American dream is about staying alive while the Jewish dream is about passionately being alive. And God wants us to passionately 
be alive. I believe that is how level one of the arousal from below becomes personal and practical. Let's now look at level two. What is level two? In short, the arousal from below that is about who we are to God versus what we do for God. Now, my friends, the example here may be a bit painful in how realistic it is to us. Out of a seven-day week, six of them we spend in the office. Out of the 24 hours of a day, the entrepreneur will spend over 12 hours of that 24 hours at the office. Of the 12 hours that he does spend at home, there are the six, seven hours that he is sleeping, and a couple of hours that he spends reading the news and surfing the web in research for his work. Then, of course, there is a 24-7 smartphone that is consistently involved with his work. And, of course, there is always the high percentage of his brain, which regardless of who he is with and what he is doing with them, that is preoccupied with being on high alert of anything that can enhance or impact his work. Yes, this may sound to you exaggerated, but studies show that this is actually a moderate representation of our generation. Then there are our children. Yes, for many, our children is the only reason for all of our exaggerated involvement in our work to give them a better life, the life we never had but always promise that we would give to our children. Yet, heaven forbid that our children interfere with our workday and our financial pursuits. You know what? I know you're thinking, oh, the rabbi's exaggerating. So you know what? How about you tell me how it felt or it feels to spend a day with your kids without your cell phone or any internet connection. Ah, you get the point now. Then the entrepreneur, in the midst of his work and total commitment and focus in his office, gets a call. His son had an accident at school. His son was rushed to the hospital not clear of exactly what happened, but it is bad. And they need him, the father, at the hospital. Now, I apologize for the dramatization of this example. But friends, sometimes it is what it takes to help us rip a person out of the doing part of his life into the being part of his life. This is the moment when all of the passionate being alive of what he does and the essence internal layer of revelation of his infinite soul sheds away, falling away as meaningless in the face of who he is and who his son is to him. Okay. What God wants from a Jew in level 2 of the arousal from below in which it's all about who the Jew is to God and not about what the Jew does for God. So let's do this again. 
what God wants from a Jew in level two is to completely acknowledge that he the Jew is that son and that God is the interpret and entrepreneur father God wants the Jew to completely accept the depths of God's connection to him God's entire playing creator and running the corporation called Universe Creation LLC is all about what God is doing for us. Then there is who we are to God. Our accepting the essence of being connection that God has with us opens us to the essence of being connection that we have with God. This essence of being relationship with us is what God wants more than anything else. Friends, modernity offers growth and growth comes with challenges. Judaism offers timeless divine solutions. The Jewish mind is where modernity meets Judaism.